Welcome to the Proletarian Contrarian, the leftist podcast dedicated to the reevaluation of all your favorite crappy films. I'm Nick. And I'm Lewis. Um, and what movie do we have today, Lewis? Because I didn't, I definitely didn't mess up the introduction uh, the first, what, three times we've had this. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, uh, we have our second Western for ProCon. Uh, we have yeah. Geronimo, an American legend from 1993. Um, actually, if you consider uh, Solo a Star Wars story to be a Western, this is our third <laughs> Western. Okay. It's a space Western, if you will. I knew, I knew you were going to do something similar to that, actually. I was like, he's going to be pedantic about one of the movies that we had previously done that is kind of a genre cross. Uh, yes, and you, you walked right into my trap, just as expected. <laughs> yeah, I, well, just like the U.S. Cavalry does a few times in this movie, they walk into Geronimo's oh, yeah. trap. Hell yeah. And eventually Geronimo himself, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this film is directed by Walter Hill. This is the second Walter Hill film we're doing. And you can't get me there because it, it, that is true. Undeniably, Correct. only two Walter Hill films so far. Correct. Uh, unless I, we've done something he's produced that we that I've forgotten about. but I'm sure his name is attached to at least one other movie, but I'm not going to go look that up. <laughs> um also, I, I think this, yeah, this this is our first John Milius film because he wrote this, but we discussed him when we did our Conan episodes. Right, yeah. So we didn't review the first Conan, which he obviously directed, but we mentioned him probably a thousand times between the two Conan episodes. Um, so uh, folks will be right. familiar with the name John Milius, uh, director of the first Conan movie, um, The Lion in Winter, and uh red dawn right that's him as well he directed the line in winter uh yeah mm-hmm. line in winter's him i'm calling bullshit on that he did not ah. that. It's... <laughs> anthony harvey directed that the lion in winter is the king henry the second oh you it's know a, what i'm thinking of? i'm thinking he has a film that's really similar in title Live action research, folks. This is great, folks. You can see how the sausage is made. What do they know? It's the wind, the what wind don't and, they know? and the lion. The wind and the lion, right? The wind that's and the so lion. so similar. That's, that's so similar. Not similar. <laughs> it is not <laughs> It's actually kind of similar. Same movie, guys. Um, Same movie. Yeah, basically. Because, yeah. Um, damn. Yeah, so we're off to a rocking good start on this episode. But <laughs> So um, if you've already forgotten, folks, this is Geronimo, an American legend. It is based on the uh, real-life uh, Apache chief Geronimo, uh, mm-hmm. Chiricahua warrior. Um, he uh, was eventually um, imprisoned in Florida on a reservation, but this takes place in Arizona, I believe, during the Apache Wars of the 1880s. Um, this uh, this recounts um, his surrender to Lieutenant Charles B. Gatewood. Yeah, and um, that that's kind of the inciting incident. And it, Geronimo, his story is fascinating because he surrendered several times, yeah. but <laughs> left and just started killing white people again several times, like over the course of his his warrior um career before he finally was imprisoned in florida um he he moved around as a prisoner kind of ironically enough mirroring his earlier career just completely as as a prisoner of the government um but uh, he he did die without ever 
seeing his home again as we find out yeah um and he died of old age too which is interesting like he didn't he didn't die in a shootout or anything like that um i think he died in like 1909 um and uh like he was at the world's fair he was at i think uh theodore roosevelt's like inauguration like he he did die in 1909 yeah Yeah, that's really fascinating life yeah um and this is a fictionalized portrayal of it, but it's it's pretty accurate to the best of our our ad hoc kind of research that we. I mean, I'm I'm assuming Lewis did it. I read a little bit about <laughs> his Wikipedia page here. Um, but it's yeah, fairly it, it, accurate. It's, yeah, just the bro- the broad strokes are accurate. Yeah, I think so. Um, names of places, stuff like that. You know, kind of the trajectory of his life um, in, in in the years that we see in the film are fairly accurate um character names are accurate as far as i know as well um there's really interesting uh character death that is not accurate and we'll talk about that later yes i yes i know exactly what you're talking about it's Um, it's amazing Uh, (laughs) as 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 far as i know that's the biggest departure from historical events and it's more like the actual random order of battle the actual character interactions like the specific dialogue it's more like that stuff that's kind of fictionalized yeah um, oh, by yeah. Milius, i'm assuming um this this movie does have a great cast um and roughly in order of prominence we have uh west studi as the title character geronimo uh jason patrick as first lieutenant charles b gatewood gene hackman as brigadier general george crook robert duval as chief of scouts al sieber Matt Damon as Second Lieutenant Britton Davis, Rodney A. Grant as Mangus, Kevin T. as Brigadier General Nelson A. Miles, Steve Rivas as Chato, Victor Aaron as Ulzana, Stuart Proud Eagle Grant as Sergeant Dutchney, and Reno Thunder as Old Nana. Um, all those people are real. Um, again, to the best of our very sketchy, like, research pre pre show research there i don't think they're composite characters um i know that's kind of that's a fairly popular trend in um in historical fiction movies like combining different people into right into one actual historical person's role or just making up a new role based on several people but to the best of my knowledge all, all like all these people have or many of these people have their own individual um entries on wikipedia and um there are some smaller roles here, but we we didn't really mention them. No, yeah, but th- these are kind of the the main players on on both the um, U.S. Army side and on the Apache side here. Characters who have speaking roles, and like you said, are actual people who lived in the real world. Um, really amazing cast. Uh, Wes Studi, um, he's been in movies forever. Uh, I, I would I would fathom to say that this is his biggest role. He doesn't get top billing, which is interesting. But yeah, that's <laughs> that's the the titular the the actor playing the titular character does not get top billing, which is interesting. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll say it's it will say interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I think this is. Um, his only leading role to the best of my knowledge yeah he is in he was in the street fighter movie he plays sagat in the street fighter movie which is pretty great oh my god that's right yes 
<laughs> That's amazing. Um, he was in Mystery Men. He played the Sphinx. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my god! Yeah. You know he's he's, he's, he's had in a long ass career. Like Dances with Wolves, of course. Last of the yes. Mohicans. Actually, probably one of his bigger ones, I would say. Uh, but again, he's he's more of a side character in that one. He he's not you know he's, he's not the villain the, in that one. He's not the main character. He's not Daniel Day Lewis's character, right? So right, he he is kind of like shunted off into noble savage type roles a lot of the time. It seems like, but he does have kind of like a wider body of work here. It seems like in in genre pieces. Like he was in an episode of the he was in the Flash movie from 1990, apparently. Holy no, shit! No, no, the Flash, the, the Flash TV, TV show. show. Holy yeah. shit! Yes, he played a character called Roller. <laughs> I don't know what Roller is. No, I have no idea who that is either. Um, the only other times I think that he's actually had like the leading role is in these two PBS um, American masterpiece uh, movies. One called Skinwalker. Um, and mm. the other one called Coyote Waits, um, where he plays a character of Lieutenant Joe Leaphorn. Uh, he is the main character in those two, but again, those are made for TV movies. Uh, they're actually pretty good. I've seen them both. Um, they're just kind of your your average police procedural on reservations. And, and the first one is about um, you know the the uh, Skinwalkers, the uh, cryptological gotcha. uh, slash folklore character, the Skinwalker. He was also the Indian in Desert from the movie The Doors, the, the <laughs> ninety one movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Oliver Stone. <laughs> the Oliver film. Stone. Yeah, yeah. He was Indian in Desert. Which, Holy yeah, um, shit! But he's cool. He's he's a Bernie bro. He endorsed Bernie in twenty sixteen. Really? That's yeah. amazing. I'm assuming twenty twenty as well, because well, I mean, who else is running at this year, this year? But like, so yeah, the other characters uh, are they're all good good character actors and and you know your more mainstream actors um except uh matt damon matt damon is uh um sticks out like a sore thumb uh a little precious yeah. baby sore thumb he's, he's still learning. Like he's his, still learning one of his first big films uh and he's yeah we'll, we'll talk about that more uh <laughs> this film did not do well um, at the box office, it was made for $35 million. It only made $18.6 million at the box office. Oof. And um, so Walter Hill blames this poor reception on a TV movie called Geronimo that literally premiered five days before the theatrical release of this film uh, Damn. On, uh, on TNT, the, the, the television network TNT. That's a pretty fair reason it, it, yeah. it's not like the only reason but i don't know people were stupid in the 90s they they didn't right they they saw a movie on tv they're like oh well, this is the movie like yeah and, and you know what? like walter hill was never a household name you know like sure. probably everybody has seen everybody listening to this podcast has seen a walter hill film if you've seen the warriors you have seen a walter hill film but and didn't he he write and produce alien yeah, he wrote and produced Alien. Um, I I believe uh, the third one as well. It says, um, "Damn, this is a live action research heavy episode here." <laughs> um, he produced Aliens and Alien Three. There you go. Yeah, so he he's been involved in the Alien franchise. 
um, you know, he he's been making films since the seventies. He's I I would say he's prolific. Um, he oh yeah he very very much so. His last film he made in two thousand six called Reassignment um, would fit the criteria of our show, but it is so god awful. I will not subject <laughs> you to watching this film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he also directed um brewster's millions yes and he says he purposely made the film to his to improve his bank account and success quotient he admitted (laughs) that it was an aberration in the career line he added that whatever the film's deficiencies i think the wistful quality was there i was happy about that the picture did well and made money he has fascinating like quotes like that because he, he yeah. doesn't seem like a very smart person, but he is very, like, business savvy. <laughs> like, he's really just yes. interested in, like, the business of movie making. Obviously, he's interested in the art of movie making as well. And I think, like, sure. he is a very talented uh, filmmaker. But, like, anytime you read an interview with him, like, he talks more about, like, that behind-the-scenes stuff. And I think it's maybe because he started as a screenwriter. Um, he he yeah. started as a screenwriter for Sam Peckinpah films, actually. He uh, he wrote the getaway for Sam Peckinpah, and um, so I think he, he he definitely has an understanding of the business side, and that really comes through. Um, but uh, he does poorly on the business side, like throughout his career. Like I mean, he's never been a, a smash hit success type filmmaker. I guess the closest you could say about that would be the Alien franchise, but like again, he he's only tangentially, well, like tangentially connected, but he he wasn't in charge for those. Right projects he he wrote and produced for them yeah exactly um, which, which is not to slight him of course but it's like it, it's not his project at that point yeah yeah um so this film has a 48 percent tomato meter 51 percent audience score uh much so, exactly median <laughs> yeah yes um it was actually nominated for one academy award for best sound hmm. uh it did not win but it was nominated it has good sound. It ha- it has good sound, definitely. Yeah, um, I, mean, I, I would have nominated not it for like costumes, but you know, whatever. Costumes are like, I don't know, like cinematography or something. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, it has an incredible, incredible cinematography. I, but yeah. uh, better better than the sound, at any rate. Right. We'll get to all these things, folks. We promise. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I pulled another Roger Ebert review. Actually. Um, oh God. I thought this was actually. The terseness of the segment I pulled fits with kind of the the mil the milius milieu I thought so the, uh, the milius milieu <laughs> I like it. Uh, so Ebert writes: uh, Hill is a director who specializes in action films about men. Uh, dudes rock. Dudes rock. Geronimo is too visually striking and too thoughtful, however, to be described in such a limiting way. The photography by Lord Ayern paints the texas and mexican landscapes in dusty blood crimsons the music by rye cooter speaks of loneliness there are no artificial climaxes caused by victories or defeats but instead the sadness of one race taking the land and pride of another i mean yeah that's like abc happens and one two three happens and like uh, this is it this is the movie it's like, yeah kinda like, yeah thanks roger no well the rest of the review is really i mean just a plot synopsis and then this is like the only part that gets somewhat into analysis because that's Roger Ebert, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's film criticism. Yeah. 
you tell as much as you can about the plot without spoilers. Uh, yes, they exactly. do the, the most limited amount of analysis. Um, you use like, the word juxtapose once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But like, this is what Mil- Milius would write about a movie. Like this is, this is yeah. as much as he would write as well. We, we, we should elaborate on Milius a little bit, just uh, t- to reiterate from the Conan episodes. Cause like he, he's a fat, uh, I I don't like him as a person, but he's he's fascinating <laughs> to me. Like not that I not that I know him, but like he he's such a fascinating figure. Like he he is like a Zen fascist. Like that yeah. that is his outlook. Yep. And um he's just this workhorse. Um I have a fascinating quote here. Um th- this is a quote from Paul Scrater, who was saying something Warren Betty told him. And he's, or is it Beatty or Beatty or Betty? Uh, Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty, yeah. He said, um, or Warren Beatty once told Milius that you come too soon and you come too often <laughs> regarding, <laughs> regarding his quote unquote good lines. Like he, his, his writing has too many good lines, too many good scenes. Cause he's just like this powerhouse that just like pounds away and like spits out scripts. Um, and Spielberg said this about him in 1978. Um, John is our scoutmaster. He's the one who will tell you to go on a trip and only take enough food, enough water for one day and make you stay out longer than that. He's the one who says, be a man. I don't want to see any tears. He's a terrific raconteur, a wonderful storyteller. John has more life than all the rest of us put together. Okay. So like he, he's kind of like this f- a formative figure for like that new Hollywood generation. Um, but he, he's kind of unknown to, like, the average person, I think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, even if you've seen the, the Conan movies, right? Like, you don't know who John Milnius is, necessarily. But I, I do think, like, he's achieved some kind of lasting um, recognition of public consciousness because in uh, The Big Lebowski, um, Goodman's character is um, a parody of Milnius. Right, right. Yeah, it's um, exactly how he dresses those uh, aviator yeah, and just, glasses and the and the and the vest, like the safari vest, and hit, hidden hidden carry, like just yeah. <laughs> waiting to whip it out because <laughs> he comes too soon and he comes too often. <laughs> but oh, um, yes, but yeah, like th- this whole movie very much fits his ethos, like warriors from both sides finding common ground, but like those goddamn bureaucrats and those goddamn civilians don't know what it's like out in the field. So like, that's the real tragedy. It's, it's not the tragedy of men killing and dying. Cause there's like an intimacy in that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. That's natural. You know, that is, that's to be lauded. Um, it's, it's all the Michigas, uh, that stops people from killing each other. <laughs> yes. That's the problem. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it's the triple parentheses reptiles that, yeah. that drive us to such deeds. <laughs> like that's... Yeah. Um, is he alive? Like, is he, or yep, is he dead? He's alive. He's, no, he's alive. He he recently worked on the the Rome miniseries. I think that's his biggest recent thing. Um, he's seventy six. Okay, I wonder what he thinks about our current political landscape. I actually don't oh, want to know. My God, yeah. I don't want to look it up. That's the yeah, that's research I'm stopping at, folks. <laughs> I could actually see him like outright loathing Trump. Yeah, it's true because like Trump didn't go to Vietnam. He's a chi- he's a chicken yeah. hawk. He's mm-hmm. he's a dandy. He's rich. He's not like right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. He would be he'd be pro uh, Jesse Ventura though. Oh my god! The, I, I swear we'll get to the plot analysis at at, at some point. But like <laughs> I ha- I have to read this. 
Milius was also instrumental during the startup of the UFC Ultimate Fighting Championship organization. It was <laughs> oh his God. idea. It was his idea to use the octagon-shaped cage. What the? And his association with UFC helped provide interest in investors to the startup. Oh my God! I like, did not know that. God damn it! Like, like, say what say what you will about him, but like, he has ideas, and like he he pun- like he he punched up Saving Private Ryan. I remember. Yeah. Um, the script for that. He he's not untalented. He's just like an insane man. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But he's definitely put a stamp on our culture. Like his stamp is on our culture mm-hmm. for our popular culture, our cinematic culture, and apparently our sports culture as well. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, um, he's a fascinating figure. Um, but, I guess that kind of covers loathsome content here. Yeah, it really does. I mean, that's kind of it. it. Starts, yeah, it starts it. Um, it's it, it the film is a little too much of like kind of the the both sides narrative. Um, yep. where there's there's good and bad on both sides. Um, and then he's he's like too reverential to like individual like troops and warriors. Um, which mm-hmm. again he he it's he's, it's not so much like um you know valorizing the high the idea of the military, which is interesting and good, but. Right. Right. Um, you know, it's like he would be fine with like Eddie Gallagher, you know, killing that that teenager, right? Like, <laughs> Jesus he, Christ, he obviously yeah, would I, be fine with that. I'll I'll agree with you, but I I will add a caveat. Like this movie was shockingly less pro troop than I thought it would be. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it, it's it's fairly nuanced, and that that's kind of why I find Milius so fascinating. Like, despite my complete distaste and my complete disagreement with him politically like he he's not without nuance and it, it's that like insane gun nut kind of samurai mindset that like me and another parallel in the parallel universe the scientists just discovered <laughs> yes. today apparently <laughs> parallel universe earth to nick is a john Milius devotee yeah like that's that's fair that's fair to say yeah you'd be more in, into instead of, swords even in the parallel universe you'd still just be into swords though Yes, but I would also recognize the utility of firearms because samurai weren't were not averse to using swords yeah. either. So or basically, using the only difference uh, between this world, Nick, and parallel universe, Nick, is that just you'd be right wing. That'd probably be the difference. I'd be, I'd be a fascist in, instead of a socialist. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly it. Um, um, yeah, but so that's kind of the loathsome content, quote unquote of this film and then matt damon i think uh is acting the majority of this film yeah and and like you can use um inexperienced actors well like i like we discussed on um godfather 3 with sofia coppola Mm, like you you can you can direct around inexperience um they they just didn't hear (laughs) he sticks out like a sore thumb but not in a way that works within the the context of the story no so he is uh the character of uh lieutenant Britton davis uh, second lieutenant Britton davis uh real life character who is kind of the he is he is the narrator of this film um he's kind of the audience surrogate um and he effectively does absolutely nothing throughout this movie um I don't even think he shoots a gun like once, maybe once. He does. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Once, okay. But, um, in the yeah that one scene in Mexico, the reason they included him was definitely because um, that that actual real life person, um, Davis, he he did write his memoirs about Geronimo. Yeah. 
because he was involved like it's it's convenient for establishing a frame story right exactly it makes sense um and you know it gives a a bit of narrative structure to the film as well so i think this is something we see a lot in in walter hill films um as i am a uh, connoisseur and scholar of walter hill films folks i have about like two left during quarantine to watch um i've like shotgun 10 of these movies uh, (laughs) in like a month shotgun literally speaking it, literally um <laughs> majority of his films have shotguns in them folks uh but his, his narrative structure is very episodic um we see it in this film i mean they're they're really it's it, they're never heavily plotted films even red heat which we've reviewed previously um the the you know the the glass uh you know uh crime drama with arnold schwarzenegger yep. and, and jim belushi uh it's i mean it's it's not a heavily plotted mystery film. It it really is just kind of a cat and mouse film uh, with with two or three set pieces. Uh, and this right. film is actually fairly similar. This film is also a cat and mouse film with two or three set pieces. Yeah, um, episodic is a great way to describe those because like Red Heat and this both felt they they felt kind of like compressed miniseries almost. Oh yeah, and I I think there would be a great miniseries to be made either based on Geronimo or like another Native Native American um, warrior chief like Sitting Bull or something. Um, but yeah, no, that that's it. The different acts feel very demarcated, like almost glaringly obviously. So yeah, it's it's a standard of of Walter Hill. Um, now that I think about it, a lot of his films are cat and mouse films are, are kind of like the the kind of pursuit films are, are the kind of films he makes so he has this one film uh the long riders about uh the jesse james gang and that film mm. is uh, about the jesse Jan- the, the 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 james younger gang uh cole younger and his brother and uh jesse james and his brother and and so on and so forth and the ford brothers who eventually kill jesse james um are being pursued by the pinkertons in that film um and then uh you know this film is is a pursuit film Uh, his wild bill film is even actually a pursuit film uh which folks we might do the Wild Bill film in the future. Uh, Jeff Bridges <laughs> as Wild Bill is uh, perhaps the best casting of the '90s. Um, Amazing. But that is there's he's being pursued by um, David Arquette, who is trying to kill him uh, as a, a fail son, uh, gunfighter, and and other bounty hunters. So it really is. Um, either Walter Hill has a singular individual who is being pursued or it is groups of individuals who are being pursued or pursuing others is is kind of his theme even in the warriors right like the warriors are being it's pursued. a chase film it's a chase the whole film. thing yeah. yeah so this is that's kind of his stock and trade uh for walter Damn. hill okay yeah and i guess keeping that in mind um the whole life of geronimo really befits his his skill set because like what what it what was Geronimo's warrior career, but like an extended chase between him yeah. and, the, and the than the federal army, right? Um. So yeah, when we when we first meet um, Matt Damon, um, Britton Davis, 
he is being sent out to meet Charles Gatewood, uh, the Jason Patrick character, to essentially kind of like quote unquote arrest, but also like escort Geronimo um, back to the to the fort where they came from. Right. Yeah. So uh, at this point, uh, some deal has been struck between the U.S. Army and Geronimo before the film starts, and Geronimo will surrender himself. Uh, along with his Chiricahua warriors uh, to the to the U.S. Army uh, somewhere in Arizona, uh, and and there to be put on a reservation from there, um, and it's it's set up that um, Hackman's character of uh, Brigadier General George Crook uh, knows Geronimo has met him previously. He's met other Apache Chiricahua warriors. They call him uh, Nantan Lupan which means like chief white wolf or something it's gray wolf gray wolf right yeah Elf he's up, yeah he's a gray wolf he's cool. a turkish gray wolf he's a gray <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he listens to chapel <laughs> um he he um the the real life general crook um was fairly well respected by the apache they there what there was some quote that said like he's the only one that never lied to us like like we don't love him but he was more fair um certainly more fair than his um successor general My- uh, miles who comes in later yeah yeah so there there is some truth to that but um he's he's very much presented as like the reasonable authority figure right he's he's like the only like bureaucrat that milius like respects and it's specifically because he's an old warrior. Right. I think that's why. Yeah, <laughs> like he's, exactly. an, like he's, he's a former warrior yep. himself. Yeah. Um, so he's allowed to. He, he Citizenship through uh, through service, folks. <laughs> um, Would you like to know more? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Davis goes. Davis is sent out and he's like, oh, I'm on this, this wide eyed yokel. I'm going to I'm going to see the, the big <laughs> Arizona, New Mexico world. Um and when he meets Gatewood, he, he kind of develops, like, this huge man crush, which is a very yes. Milius thing. Oh, yeah. He's, like, immediately taken by him. He's, like, he he didn't talk much. Like, he, he didn't say words needlessly, but, like, I respected him. And, like, he, he knew his way around a firearm. And, like... Yeah. Jason Patrick has an interesting affect. He, he adopts a very thick Virginian accent, which I'll leave to you to determine the veracity of. Uh, it's bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it it is it is overdone to a fault. Um, he looks like a more attractive version of Walton Goggins. Yes, it's incredible. Which, That's all it, I like, could think of. If I recast yes. this film, it, he Walton Goggins. It would just be Walton Goggins. <laughs> yeah, and he would do a better job. To be fair, um, and he's at least from the South too. Like Jason Patrick's from Queens, New York. <laughs> But yeah, Gatewood, the Jason Patrick character, he he's presented as another like very reasonable, sensible warrior who doesn't give in to like blind hatred or, or resentment or um, prejudice of any kind, and um, the two of them are the only white men or, or white soldiers to go out to get Geronimo, um, because one very good thing that this movie does well is they integrate a lot of um, actual American Indian actors into the Native American roles. And um, that was true. It's accurate to the time period. Um, the Apache scouts were were relied upon heavily by the by the army um, to track. Ironically enough, the Apache that they were fighting. Yeah, and you know, if this film was made like 
20 years earlier, it would be like Italian dudes uh, with a little it would more be bronzer on. Uh, <laughs> they would take you and stick you out yes. in the sun all day to get a dark tan. Fuck and yes. then you, you would have been Geronimo. <laughs> I would have been Geronimo. Yeah. No, it's very true. Uh, that is that is the legacy of Hollywood for sure. Um, there's a film, uh, Real Engines, about that, a documentary film. Uh, oh, damn. It's about yeah, just how that the treatment of Native Americans in film and how yeah, it was just mostly uh, like Italians or other swarthy people. Um, and and to be fair, Wes Studi himself, he is Cherokee. He's not Apache. Yes. Um, but I'm I'm not gonna fault. I, I won't fault Hollywood for this because there aren't many um, Apache or members of any tribes left to like be like there there probably isn't a big enough of an acting pool to pull from to accurately um, cast every role, whether it be Apache or Cherokee or otherwise. Yeah. So my understanding is that, you know, there were actually um, uh, folks from the Apache nation in the film itself, but um mm the Chiricahuas specifically um there are very few Chiricahua Native Americans left um because so you many know. of them came from the Geronimo uh, bloodline and, and and you know just his his group that had gone down to Marion Florida um and most of them were wiped out by uh, our government so it's hard, yeah, it's hard to be spe- you know I, very specific with uh, certain different you know tribes and nations when um, you know our country wiped out so many of our, them. So yeah, that that's something else I definitely wanted to address um, before we get too much farther on because w- what I'm about to say kind of like is is the central point of the movie and the way it's presented. I don't agree with too much because like it's it's kind of old hat by now and it's glossed over, but we can't go without saying this, that it, it was a genocide. Yeah. It, it's comparable to the Holocaust. Um, it's really disgusting and we're not going to, I'm not going to belabor the point, but like it recognizing it as such definitely ties into, um, one of the things I dislike about the movie. Right. Yeah. Um, interesting enough, there is a, a segment of, uh, ebert's review where he talks about that actually that that's one of his faults with the mm. film that um you know really just um like many of the, the the westerns from the 90s and and before and you know even to this day um they're not uh they're not very honest about the genocide part of it all right you know they're, they're honest about right. the oh yes these people were warriors and you know the government fought back yeah that that happened but there's also this other portion uh with uh you know resettlement and just uh, complete eradication by violent means that uh very few films are are, are honest about uh there is a uh a john ford film about the trail of tears but um Cheyenne Autumn, I think it's called. It's uh, it's not good. It's not very good, and there's a lot of Italians. Uh, I'll tell you that. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, yeah, and you get things like I don't know, like Pocahontas, right? Where it's like presented as it, it's a both sides narrative. It's like oh, the 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 white people came from Europe and they they tried to do colonialism and that's bad, but the native populations they fought back and that's bad. That's just right. as bad. Which is, That's which also is, bad, folks. It's bad. Yeah. 
yeah fighting in self-defense is bad um and this movie isn't like super bad on that front but it's definitely present oh yeah um anyway um so we have matt damon and, and jason patrick they go to find geronimo um and we get some probably the strongest feature of this movie is the cinematography with the the natural landscapes yeah mm-hmm. um just some really stunning like nice long shots or um nice like kind of longer um like succession of different shots of different uh just natural features that are kind of they were really stunning and I was I was not expecting yeah so that's Monument Valley which is on the border of Arizona and Utah um mm. classic location for for westerns you know back all the way to the John Ford days um but they also do a, a lot of color correction i mean it seems like a lot of color correction um you know post production color correction um where you know whatever um computer software you're using to edit your film you just kind of change the the hue or the uh, saturation um and like they have these really vibrant colors, um, really vibrant, like Ebert says, crimson colors. Um, you get nice like magentas and stuff like that. Um, so it adds something to to the uh, to the usual landscapes that we see in westerns. It, it adds another like mythic and like mystic quality to it. Um, and, and this film tries to have like some like kind of spiritualism mysticism stuff go on once in a while um not as much i should say (laughs) as uh the film hill would make later which is wild bill there's actually more in that film if you can believe it i can um (laughs) it's it's yeah because it's it's not super prominent here like it's it it pops up in a few sequences like um geronimo will be looking off or gazing off into the desert and like there'll be some quick cuts of of he calls it his power, which I suppose is fairly accurate. Um, and that's interpreted as like seeing the future or seeing visions of um, what will happen. Um, but it only happens like two or three times. Yeah. It, it's, it only punctuates the film. Like, yeah, a couple times yeah. um, in the wild bill film, uh, wild bill goes to an opium den a few times. And there's like these extended sequences where he is like yeah. high as fuck and like chasing a fox. It's amazing. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's great. So yeah, um Gatewood and Davis, they do find Geronimo because it's a prearranged meeting and they start to escort him back to um back to General Crook, um, just following the plan. And along the way they stop with their Apache guides at just some saloon and that instigates kind of like a little RPG action scene. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> because um, bounty hunters from Tombstone, the town of Tombstone, yep. actually, where the OK Corral was fought, um, they're like, hey, we see Geronimo. We want the bounty on him. And like, get the fuck out of here. And the posse starts chasing them. And uh, Gatewood and Geronimo, they stay back to hold off the posse. Um by like scaring them by shooting bottles out of their hands yeah yeah and they they, they have like a mutual respect scene and drama's like yeah you're 
like you you're you're brave and i respect that so take this blue rock yeah yeah he's like <laughs> okay. he, he uh he likes his binoculars he likes gatewood's binoculars he's like your looking glass yeah, is better yeah, yeah. than mine uh i'll take that if i uh, if i can make this shot and get rid of these guys I, i'll take that from you and then he does he shoots a jug out of the one guy's hand and he's like oh actually i missed i was aiming for his head um and then he he takes a binoculars and he he gives gatewood this this blue rock he's like this is very important in my culture and you know it's sincere right it is a sincere scene uh and that's something like milius would like think is cool right like he's he he would want that like milius wants that blue stone he wants that stone from the last great patriarch of a dying race (laughs) like that's what that's what he wants like that's (laughs) That's what he wants in his Christmas stocking. Um, <laughs> but Gatewood got it. And what's very weird is like the, the the rock never shows up again. No. It seems like they would get a lot of like visual symbolism from that. But like it, e- even like at the end where it really come back into play, we never see it again. Yeah, he just mentions it at the end, but he never. Like... Yeah, he, 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 he specifically mentions it without showing yeah. it, which is crazy. <laughs> Um, um, so then they, they bring him back to Crook, uh, uh, Brigadier General Crook, who then puts them on the Turkey Creek Reservation, uh, right. where they will become corn farmers. Uh, so they're supposed to stop their Apache yeah. warring ways, and they just, they're just they supposed to just grow corn and be happy. They're also not supposed to drink, um, which gets right. to the, the um, very like paternalistic... Um, attitudes that the army had uh, towards Native Americans and, and that I think our government still does to this day um, where basically, you know, we treat them as kind of almost like wards of the state, although obviously uh, Native Americans uh, have their own nations, um, their own sovereignty. Um, you know, the, I think the U.S. government has always treated them as just children who, uh, you know, we, we let them do what they want over there, but we have certain restrictions on them and limitations. Um, and, and we definitely see that in the scene where uh, Matt Damon's character has to explain to them, like, in baby terms, because uh, he can't actually uh, speak Apache, uh, that they, they can't drink because if they drink, then they get rowdy and then they, they kill people. Yeah, and alcohol alcoholism um among native american populations it's kind of one of those like pseudo like it is based in reality but it's like used by race scientists like oh yeah to to justify like the reservation system it's like oh native americans are like naturally predisposed to alcoholism so like they need to be controlled kind of sentiment um just completely ignoring any like contributing or environmental factors um but yeah, that that that's one of the many restrictions placed on them in the in the reservation here. Um, and another thing, they actually mentioned this in the movie, like the the soil, the territory of Arizona, New Mexico, um, isn't well suited to that kind of farming or like farming of any kind. I imagine. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, it's very subsist- subsistence level, and it puts them directly. Um, it it makes them dependent on the federal government for for survival, which is kind of I, I imagine somewhat intention, intentional. Right. Yeah. And 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 they say that explicitly uh, in the film, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so from here, a medicine man uh, visits the reservation, and he um, is preaching. 
um, some anti-U.S. Uh, government sentiments. Um, they call white people white eyes. Um, so he's he's saying some like you know kill white eyes stuff. Um, well, he's sort not of doing that. He's, yeah. they're they're doing like a go- they're doing like a ghost dance, and um, it's a religious ceremony, and th- the government interprets that as just any expression of religious sentiment um, among the Apache, especially like I don't know if it was specifically the, specifically the ghost dance, but they they can they consider any kind of religious sentiment to be just definitionally um seditious right right yeah and that's what that's what prompts a backlash and gets the medicine men killed and prompts geronimo into um just not surrendering anymore just like start killing just as they're killing the the american soldiers yeah uh yeah it's definitely the inciting incident of the film uh this little shootout uh my favorite part is when geronimo uh, jumps on the back of a U.S. cavalryman who is uh, on his horse. So Geronimo jumps mm-hmm. in the saddle with this uh, cavalryman. He takes the man's gun, which is still in the man's hand, puts it to his head, and blows his own brains out uh, with, his, yeah. <laughs> with his firearm, his service uh, revolver. Uh, it's And then I, I think he steals the horse. It's, it's incredible. Yep. He rides off on his horse. That's great. Um, we should also mention the Robert Duvall character. Oh, yeah. Um, out the master of scouts, L. Sieber. Yes. Um, again, another real person. Uh, he He's kind of like, I guess you would call him a military irregular. Like, he, he's right. part of the military, but he's not like, he doesn't have a rank. He's not like a, a part of the hierarchy. Um, he's in charge of the scouts, which includes uh, white, but also notably apache members um and that's another like fascinating little side characterization they have going on with all the apache scouts um some of whom were were actual historical people their their loyalty is questioned constantly by everybody um by both the army and geronimo right yeah i know there's a really interesting dichotomy there um and and seber's character in addition to gatewood i think are kind of the two Milius surrogates in this film. I think Geronimo is yeah. also sort of a, a Milius surrogate. Sure, definitely. But I think Geronimo is kind of the more unobtainable version of the Milius surrogate. Yes. Whereas Gatewood and Sieber is something that are two people who Milius can like see himself in. Geronimo is what Milius would call his spirit animal. Yeah, <laughs> like yes. In 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 the paternalistic white way yes. that people on social media oh, yes. use it for sure. Yeah, yeah. He would find some kinship with Gatewood and Sieber, but he would he would think Geronimo is like yeah yeah exactly yeah like, the, the the ideal the ideal to strive for if you would right. Um, but yeah, Sieber's interesting. He, he's he's portrayed here as like a grizzled veteran of like a hundred a dozen battles, and he has like he he constantly mentions like. Either he mentions constantly, or another character mentions how many scars he has. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, I got seventeen bullet yeah, yeah. wounds in my back, and I got an arrow wound in my asshole. <laughs> it's, like, it's like after after the first time, like we get it. He's he's a grizzled badass. Yeah. Um. Robert Duvall uh, just has the best time of his life with this character. He's he's having fun. He's just he's hanging out. Yeah. He's, he's just like he's chew- chewing chewing tobacco. He's, yeah. yeah. Um, 
so yeah, the with Geronimo breaks out from the Turkey Creek Reservation, and the army is once again hunting him. Um, it, you're right about like the kind of the episodic and like plotless nature of this movie, because like it's it's a the second act is like a long bit of nothing. Oh yeah, but like sequences that could be rearranged in any order. <laughs> yes, almost. Like, <laughs> that is that is like every Walter Hill film. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not bad it's it's no. like it's like an interesting cinematic experience it's it's just not plot driven no Mm-mm. yeah um yeah I, I guess so there's a few battle sequences that are interesting in this se- in this part of the film um there's there's actually uh, a a man-to-man duel of sorts uh a one-on-one between gatewood and an apache warrior that i think is very indicative right. of, of walter hill as well um they are i think this is right after the turkey hill uh shootout they are <laughs> turkey hill turkey yes. creek uh turkey hills the ice cream uh <laughs> turkey <laughs> turkey hill is walter hill's favorite ice cream <laughs> fuck yes rocky road it would be of course uh, oh yes yes the rocky the rocky trail all warriors must follow <laughs> um yes yeah, so they have uh they're on the trail of geronimo and they they see some apaches on a ridge um and one apache warrior uh rides out ahead to uh face off with gatewood um so they're they're on horseback and uh the apache has a pistol and gatewood has a rifle uh, and Gatewood does something that I'm sure Milius had seen in other uh, westerns before, where he like makes his horse fall down, and then he uses the horse as cover, um, and also yes. like to stabilize his rifle as he puts like the perfect shot like in the Apache warrior's heart. Yep, that it's such like th- this beast like. Uh, I we've both fought through so many battles like it, it listens to me it, it would lay down its life for <laughs> yes. me but like I'll, I'll take care of it and like and then after he he gets the one perfect headshot on the on the war chief that rides up to him um he gatewood asks one of the one of the apache scouts like oh what should we do and the apache scout does like a little religious thing yes like takes some dust and he tosses it on his head he's like that's it like there's nothing more to be said yeah 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 he's like like that is milius it, like so, you you yes you kill your enemy without mercy, but like there, there is reverence in, in that brutality yep. because like you, you, you just no no backstabbing. You shoot him right in the face and then you give them the burial that their culture, like that, the culture they grew up in demands. Like that's it. Yeah, exactly. I, I it, this scene alone is one of my favorites because I think it does just get to the thesis of the film so well. Uh, exactly as you yeah. explained it uh, and i think it's also the good mixture of of milius and, and hills uh, films as well um because hills films have a lot of these duels um and and, and they're usually somewhat unique as well um so in he actually kind of repeats this in wild bill which he makes i think two years after this film um where wild bill fights a a grieving uh, native american um, who uh, just, he's like, I got to kill the first white man I see. And then they fight. Uh, Bill has his two uh, pearl inlay handle pistols and, and the Native American has a spear uh, and, they, and they're charging at each other. Um, but usually it's hand-to-hand combat in, in, in Walter Hill films. 
uh, one of my favorites right. is in Long Riders, uh, David Carradine, who plays uh, one of the younger brothers. I think Cole Younger. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong there. Um, he fights uh, this guy who married uh, the, one of the uh, sex workers that he's always been in love in. And they do this thing where they take a, a length of cloth, a long length of cloth. They both put it in each other's mouths on each end. So they, are, um, they have to pivot with each other as they are knife fighting. They both have Bowie knives because they're in Texas. And, Damn! Yeah, it's insane, and they're kept together, and they're tethered together That's by this this length of, of of cloth. It's it's incredible. It's definitely my favorite hand to hand fight sequence. Um, and then there's an, another great one in um, one of Walter Hill's more recent films called Bullet to the Head, where Sylvester Stallone and Jason Momoa fight with uh, firemen's axes. Hell yes! Yeah. Hell yes! <laughs> that fucking rocks! Oh my god! Yeah. We have to do. We can do all of these films. Like none of these films were ever critically acclaimed. Long Riders no, was, oh, but we can definitely do Bullet to the Head and Wild Bill. Right. That's for sure. Walter Hill, welcome to the Procon Pantheon. <laughs> Take your seat next to BDP. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very true. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he's the perfect filmmaker for this podcast. John Milius, you can wait outside at the Procon Outhouse. That's that's where you can, <laughs> that's where you can sit. <laughs> yeah. Um, another good scene is oh yeah, yeah um when general gatewood sits down with geronimo um they have their peace talk or their attempted peace talk it's like they meet on neutral neutral ground and they um gatewood is like not gatewood uh crook crook uh, right. sorry yeah crook uh, hackman yeah he's like oh you you betrayed my trust i don't trust you anymore geronimo's like well fuck you because you've been killing apache this entire time and they go back and forth. Nothing's really decided. But this meeting apparently actually really took place like in history. And it was photographed. And they included um, very small character, C.S. Fly, who was a f- one of the earliest photojournalists because he took um, exposure photos of the the meeting, like with Geronimo. Yeah. Um, and there were several, and they incorporate those actual photographs into the film very well um but yeah those photos are crazy like they're the only existing confirmed photos of um native american belligerents um during a state of war with the u.s army but they meet some kind of like crazy specific um definition in that manner but yeah that actually really happened which i thought was really cool yeah yeah, I think it might be the only photos of either Apache warriors, uh, like, mm-hmm. and the U.S. Army, or Geronimo and the U.S. Army together, like, while there is still like a, you know, a a war going on between them or something like that. They say something to that effect in the film, at least. But um, yeah, there is some superlative, and it's really it's it's fascinating um, these photos and. Um, you had mentioned something else interesting about the photographer and another uh, Western uh, locale. Yeah, C.S. Fly, um, he was from Tombstone, actually, and um, his photo gallery, I guess, was at the OK Corral. It was literally right out... The, the gunfight at the OK Corral took place right outside his door, and he and he witnessed it. Um, so that's just like two... two really improbable coincidences like yeah he, he's a very central figure right. in the history of the old west like 
they gunfighted the OK Corral, and he took the only known photos of Geronimo, which is wild. Yeah, it's um, it's batshit crazy. <laughs> but but it's cool. Yeah. Um, and also, th- this actually explains something in the plot that I wasn't really aware of. But the Wikipedia page says that a soldier who had sold Geronimo and his warriors whiskey um, told Geronimo that his his men would be murdered as soon as they crossed the border back into the United States. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And that's that's what incentivized Geronimo and his warriors to leave. And that is why Crook was removed from command. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, after this scene, after this, Crook resigns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because right after this scene um, of of a, you know, a sit down, um, we get, is this the, the sandstorm battle scene that's right after this? That is a perfect example of a scene that I could not for the life of me tell you when it takes yeah. place. <laughs> because... It's a cool scene. It fits the mood very well. It's very well shot, and you'll get into it because you love the scene. But, like, it's so contextually removed from the scenes before and after. Yep. Yep. Like, I... I and, and, again, this, this isn't a criticism. I think it worked within the larger tableau of the movie. It just... Interchangeable. Yeah. In, in terms of when it takes right, place. Right, exactly. No, it's true. I, I was trying to remember, and I was really hoping the Wikipedia page would kind of like lay it all out, but it doesn't. I was like, fuck. But the Wikipedia page agrees with us because the Wikipedia plot synopsis is just like a lot of shit yes. happens. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's very bare bones, um, which is, is fitting enough. Um, but I think it happens here. There's a there's a sandstorm battle sequence of Apaches versus uh, the the U.S. Army, and it's really cool because it starts with just like the sand, but then the sand abruptly rises up from the ground because the Apaches are hiding in the sand uh, to ambush the the U.S. cavalry. Um, and it's just a very striking image. It's very, very abrupt. Like, it's just like a smash cut. And it's like two or three of these cuts of the Apaches jumping out of, of, of the sand and then just shooting everybody. And they, I think they win and they steal a bunch of, like, weapons from the cavalry. Um, but I And I don't know if this is conscious uh, of Walter Hill or, you know, Milius, but there's a scene in the second Lone Wolf and Cub film, uh, Baby Cart at the River Styx, that does this exact same thing. Um, there are characters who are in the desert and uh, they start stabbing the the sand because there are men hiding in the sand to kill them all. And then they all start popping out of the sand and then there's a big battle sequence. Um, I, it's just a little too coincidental. And I, I'm sure they know of the Lone Wolf and Cub films. I would bet a fairly significant amount of money that john milius was aware of that yeah yeah well like are you like are you kidding me lone wolf and cub movie like with a with a cool innovative battle scene like that he definitely knows about yeah and and, you know hill would know about it because um in, in the warriors um the last sequence of the warriors when they're on the beach um, the way the main character disarms the main antagonist is is right out of yojimbo uh when he throws he throws the knife at the guy who Hell has yes. the gun. Um, I've never seen Warriors, I know, but um, I have seen Yojimbo. Yojimbo was actually the most recent movie I saw in theaters That's right. before quarantine. Yes. Yeah, so in that movie, <laughs> yeah, he chops the, the guy's uh, arm off at the end. Um, 
in Yojimbo. In, or does he throw a knife in his hand? I can't remember. Yojimbo, he he throws a knife and it hits the guy's hand holding the gun and he that makes him drop the gun and then he just runs up and cuts him. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in in the Warriors, uh the the antagonist has a gun to the, all of the warriors on, on the beach uh, at Coney Island and then the one of them throws a knife in his hand um but they don't yeah, they don't kill him, the the main antagonist though. Uh, a bunch of guys come and they just like start beating the shit out of him with like hockey sticks and all, all other clubs and stuff. <laughs> Hell yeah! Uh, so they don't cut his arm off like in Yojimbo. But it's it's yeah. a direct reference to um, that. So you know, he, he Hill is definitely aware of like Japanese cinema. Yeah. Again, they don't cut the son's arm off in Yojimbo. He just like cuts him down the chest, and which gives him the mortal wound. Oh, okay, I'm thinking of like earlier in the film, he chops someone's arm off in Yojimbo. Yeah, he does, but like it, it's not the climax. That's right. That's right. It's been a while since I've seen it, folks. I apologize. <laughs> and this is this is very uh, Hill and Milius like discussing the mechanics of fight scenes too, which is <laughs> which is very much in keeping. You you definitely are uh, Milius, and I'm definitely Hill. That's for sure. <laughs> yes, that's actually really. I'm like the more like effete one who's like actually more into the movies themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, he has a katana, but he uses he prefers a wakizashi for its higher speed. <laughs> the shorter the shorter blade length uh, lends itself to more droid uh, manipulation in tight quarters. <laughs> oh Jesus! Uh, um. Anyway, back to you, back to Geronimo. The, yeah. So I guess um, the only other like big plot point there's kind of two. Um. Uh. Or I guess let's say there's three. So. Um, we mentioned sure. Crook, uh, Gene Hackman's character. He resigns. He's tenders his resignation, and then the character of uh, Brigadier General Miles comes in, and he's more of a hard ass. Uh, he doesn't understand the Apache ways. He doesn't want to use Apache scouts either because he has this idea of dual loyalty. Um, but he sends like thousands of men into the field to find uh, Geronimo between Arizona and and the border of Mexico. He fails. So uh, Gatewood sa- says to him, if you let me just pick three people, I'll go down there. So Gatewood, Davis, uh, the Apache scout, uh, uh, Chato, is that his name? It is uh, Chato. And and Al Sieber, they all go down to Mexico to find Geronimo. And I think this is the most prominent a historical yes. bit, to my understanding because because Al Al Sieber he retires or he he retires from army service the same time that General Crook does and I think that's what happened in real life he just like fucked off to Texas or something um but in this bit they Matt Damon has some horribly like voiceover line he's like and Al Sieber left his retirement because he was bored or whatever and he joined us yep. like mm-hmm. very very contrived yeah so. Um, they go down to Mexico and um, right away they come across a, um, a massacred Native American village of uh, Yaqui Indians, not Apaches. Um, and it's kind of like a bait and switch. You think at first like, oh, the, uh, Geronimo and his 35 Apache warriors did this. They're, they're dastardly. Oh, no. 
Um, but then mm-hmm. they realized that it was the work of some bounty hunters because Al Siebert's talking to one of the, the dead Yaki Indians and uh, he tells them like, oh, it was these, these, these white men who came and did this to us and then they fucked off and um, they killed our, our whole families and they get, you know, $100 for a, a male uh, warrior. They get, you know, this amount of money for women and children, scalps and stuff like that. Um, so we have this side, this side quest now where, uh, the, the crew has to go like get revenge for this, this, this village of Yaki Indians they'd never met before, uh, and, and kill these bounty hunters. See, I think it's less that, and I think it's more, they were justified in gunning down these bounty hunters, like for the audience. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think that was the the reason that part was written in there because like they they come to the saloon and they all sit down and they're just getting drinks or dinner or whatever and then these other the, these bounty hunters come in and it's like it's it's obvious like these are the ones that killed killed the indians earlier like they they they're they're like framed as villains and they start mouthing off to the apache scout like the the like any apache in the in the bar um and then gatewood and seber confront them and then they just like whip out their guns and everyone starts shooting <laughs> each other like instantly. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's cool. It's a cool uh, shootout. It's like very quick and brutal yeah. and it's not mm-hmm. over glamorized. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's well shot. Um, I just, mm-hmm. it's such a weird sequence. I do not know why it is very, in this yeah. film. <laughs> because I mean, sport, like the, the end result is that Sieber is, is shot and he's, he's right. killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and Al Bird did not die that way no. in real life. The way he the way he died is hilarious. It's amazing. So, uh, as Nick said, he he retires in this film, but in real life, his trajectory would have been he retires, he retires in Arizona, and he works on the uh, Roosevelt Dam uh, in Arizona, uh, specifically um, building the road towards the Roosevelt Dam. And um, and notably, he was supervising an Apache work crew. Right, yeah, he's supervising an Apache work crew because he can he can speak Apache. Um, they they talk mm-hmm. about that throughout this film, um, and they had previously dynamited the side of like this rock face, um, and one of the rocks, like this gigantic boulder, was somehow like precariously <laughs> situated on a smaller boulder, and then it just fell. And because of his wounds that he talks about so much in this film, he couldn't get away in time, and the boulder just crushed him to death. <laughs> he was just crushed to get death by a boulder. That was it. That's how he ended it's his like, life. That is literally a Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote <laughs> death. <laughs> <laughs> the TNT and the, the rolling boulder in the desert, and it just yes. squishes him. Yeah. He, I, just, I just picture like he's holding up like a sign <laughs> yeah. that says like, uh oh, uh oh, help. <laughs> yeah, he does not get the hero's death, you know, uh, that he gets in this film. <laughs> yeah, he he was buried with military honors um, at a cemetery in Globe, Arizona, but like, it, it wasn't this glorified like Zen like Ronin death that he gets here, right? He, um, yeah, he dies um, quite cinematically in the film. Yeah. Very, very milius fashion. 
uh, for sure. Again, because, uh, you know, this is the, one of the Milia surrogates, so of course he has to have this kind of death. Um, and then it's the end of the movie where uh, Gatewood uh, finds Geronimo on top of, like, a plateau, and they talk about stuff. Well, really quick, in true Felson fashion, um, <laughs> Davis wants oh, yeah. to come up with him. <laughs> And he's like, no, stay here. Like, watch the donkeys. Yeah, watch the donkey. <laughs> <laughs> and he shakes his hand. He's like, you're a fine man. You'll be a fine. You're you're a fine man, Davis. You'll you'll be a fine officer. <laughs> like that. That's probably a better accent than Jason Patrick does. Yes. Um. And so, in true Phil Sun fashion, Matt Damon stays with the donkeys. Um. And he climbs up with Ch- uh, Chato, the right. scout. Um. And then they find Geronimo, and Geronimo's and his warriors are holding them up, holding them up with guns. And Gatewood gives a previously unseen silver cross that he apparently always wears. Yeah. <laughs> um. And this is the scene where I was really expecting the blue rock to show up again. Right. But it doesn't. Nope. He mentions it. He talks about the blue rock, yeah. but he doesn't pull it out. Yeah, the, the, the script goes out of its way to remind us verbally that it exists, but they don't show us like using the, the visual language of cinema. Yeah, yeah. It's a strange really little weird. scene. Um, but yeah, Geronimo uh, actually surrenders this time around for realsies. For realsies. Um, and then the, the film ends with uh, the, the Apaches, uh, the Chiricahua, in uh cattle cars uh in well re- really quick bef- really just really quick before that um we get a little we, we get a really not little like a, like this extended scene of um the apache just marching being escorted by the cavalry scouts and gatewood off in the distance because gatewood it's mentioned he was like forcibly reassigned somewhere like montana or some shit yes um, yeah he was a like, i think that, wyoming like, only and he only. just yeah he's like not with his family because his fa- he mentions his family in virginia that's where he, where right. he wants to get back there right um but as geronimo and his sol- and his men are marching surrounded by the soldiers um there's like a christian hymnal is the, is the right. music which is a very marked contrast to the music the like, like the native american inspired music throughout the rest of the movie mm-hmm. um and even even though Gatewood's religiosity is kind of like really tacked on at the end there, I thought it was like a very nice way to highlight that bit. It was like um auditory colonization almost. Like like the the Christian religion just like completely literally drowning out yeah. like the Apache side. Right. Yeah, that that is interesting. Um yeah. I didn't pick up on that. Good job. Well thank you, Uncle Lewis. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. <laughs> Um, but yeah, then after that we cut, um, oh, I guess Matt Damon quits the army cause he's ashamed to be par- party to such, uh, to such heinous, um, heinous actions like the, the outright betrayal of the promises and the relocation and he just can't stand it. He quits and like storms off. Um, but then we see, yeah, we see that, uh, Geronimo and the other Apache are just packed into a train. And they're shipped off to Florida. Yeah, it's a pretty striking image. So we see this train, and then we see there's only two cattle car, um, what I assume are cattle car, and uh, it's 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 full of Geronimo, his family, and all the other Apaches. Um, it's it's fairly extended sequence in there. They have um, you know kind of a long dialogue between him, Chato, and and some of the other Apache scouts who we had mentioned we had uh, seen before in the film. 
that's the very important de- detail and that's what really prompts Matt Damon to quit because um the Apache scouts they're just like all right give up your give up your weapons you're no longer soldiers you're you're prisoners you're with the rest of the Apache go to Florida yeah which happened in real life it 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 is like supremely fucked yeah, up yeah it's 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 fucked folks um so they're all in they're all on their way to Florida reservation in Florida um and the uh, some of the Apaches um the, the scouts are um kind of being chastised by the apaches who never worked with the government so chato specifically is being chastised by another apache he's like you worked with them like you gave us up uh, i'll never forgive you i'm gonna hate you forever uh, and then geronimo says something like no we can't do that like we have like so little left you know we have to like yeah, it's like they're, they're, band there's, together. there's literally not an there's literally not enough of us left for for you to hate him basically right. <laughs> like don't do that right um and then and that's really the film um a fairly depressing note mm. which you know is it makes sense uh yeah and in that final train shot like the way it's set up it's like they they put the camera on the track and then the train kind of comes around this bend right and then just comes slowly only slowly because the distances are so huge and like the great plains but just like slowly towards the camera and the big gouts of like dark smoke just coming out of the coming out of the engine just cut it literally like cutting the sky in half it's very striking imagery yeah, yeah. and the, and the last uh, shot of the film again is kind of that uh you know from the the level of the railroad ties watching the train go mm-hmm. off in the distance and it rounds the corner and then it disappears as the credits roll um you know as these people's lives are just changed forever um as the landscape of the country has changed forever, uh, so on and so forth. Yeah, that's uh, that's the cheery note that this movie ends on. But um, yeah, it, I mean, it's it's a I wouldn't call it like a dour movie, but it's definitely a downer ending and um, very appropriate for the subject matter. Yeah. So, uh, workers of note, we have here uh, Sonny Skyhawk, who is a consultant for the film. Uh, He is Native American himself. Uh, He's an actor, predominantly. Uh, He's in this film. He's actually one of the the bounty hunters. They have one Native American man with them, and and that is uh, Sonny Skyhawk. Right. Um, but he made sure that uh, the portrayal of uh, Native Americans was uh, even-handed, uh, accurate, uh, and, and that uh, more Native Americans were also hired uh, for the, the the film, both uh, you know cast and crew. Um, sure. So you know, kudos because that's uh, important work for an industry that has uh, done quite the opposite for literally decades. And, uh, you know, right now, obviously films aren't being made, but uh, in, in the, in the previous decade, not a ton of native American representation in uh, Hollywood cinema, at least um, the Westerns really don't get made much anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And even a film like, you know, 310 to Yuma, the 310 to Yuma remake, I can't really even think of any Native American characters in that film. I will say there's a movie that's um, that came out recently last year called Blood Quantum that seems pretty awesome. Um, it's a Canadian horror film, um, but it, it's a it's a zombie kind of survival film. 
um, but it centers on characters who who live in a First Nations reserve and white white refugees from like outlying cities flee to their reserve trying to escape the zombies. Huh. That's interesting. Which which is a pretty yeah which is a pretty, and I mean it's predominantly um, the director Jeff Barnaby and most of the cast are all First Nations actors and and um, film people. So that seems I don't know that seems pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, independent cinema is really the the place to go for a better representation of Native Americans on film. The Exiles, which I believe is made in either the 60s or the 70s, um, is about uh, Native Americans, um, I believe, in Los Angeles, um, just like having fun uh, in in the city at Mm -hmm. night. Uh, (laughs) And it's... uh, it's very different than you know the other representations of Native Americans that were happening uh, contemporaneously. Um, in the '90s, there was kind of a boom of uh, Native American films right. uh, directed by Native Americans, written by Native Americans, like the film *Smoke Signals*. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Um, and then, like I said, those two PBS uh, American masterpiece films uh, that West Studies also in are, are worth checking out, especially if you like. Just you know your your more classic uh, police procedural film, uh, you know, just good good acting, um, nothing showy or flashy, but uh, they're fun for sure. Um, the other crew members that I wanted to recognize for this movie, um, we have I have two here: Larry D. Campbell and Greg Lazaro um as assistant location manager for the moab Moab region and the location manager in general uh, respectively um as we both said the the cinematography around the natural landscapes is really striking um pretty much throughout the entire film um just very very beautiful vistas very beautiful great plains um very attractive uh desert shots and everything um regardless of the color grading um just yeah very very memorable um tableau of images all right uh what do we got for our broke recommendation i think that actually uh ties in nicely to the locations (laughs) that is um befitting the tone of this movie anyone who's looking for some bittersweet longing um of of things gone by uh if you're in quarantine um and you want uh, a visual treat for for your your quarantine adult eyes um yeah just there, there's plenty to like in this movie there's plenty just to to look at and and appreciate yeah definitely i uh i took a bunch of screenshots i'm going to definitely include them in the show notes but i think i'll treat you all nice. uh on twitter as well once we release this episode i'll, I'll tweet out uh, some of my favorites of, of the landscape photography yes. because it's it's really striking and it's pretty early on too. some of the first few shots of this film um we, we get mm-hmm. some really beautiful uh photography there and it's it's really just peppered throughout um and it, it really never ceases to amaze for our woke recommendation if you are fans of the tv show deadwood um walter hill actually directed the first episode of deadwood uh some uh Walter Hill regulars are in the in the uh, throughout the the show um people like uh Keith Carradine and uh Powers Booth um it has a similar 
tone, not as, uh, I guess, rough around the edges as Deadwood, obviously. You know, not they don't say the word cunt th- a thousand times in this movie. <laughs> um, but this is... I've never seen Deadwood, but I, I want yeah, to. Yeah, it's it's worth watching. Um, it, it's a uh, you know very unglamorous uh, version of the West, which I think this film does once in a while and and does it fairly well. I think this film likes to mythologize a, a little bit more than Deadwood does, um, but it also sure. you know it has the grittiness um, that that Deadwood has. Um, and, and again, you know, I mean, Walter Hill, uh, is, is such a talented director. If, if you like the first episode of Deadwood, uh, you'll like this movie. <laughs> oh shit. Timothy Oliphant's in Yeah. It. Timothy Oliphant is, is one of the main characters, uh, of, uh, yeah. Sergeant Bullock, uh, or Sheriff Bullock. Oh damn. Yeah. And Br- Brad Dorif is in yep. it. Yeah. Um, he plays the doctor. Keith, Car- Keith Carradine, as we said, uh, Powers Booth. Hell yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's an incredible show. Okay, yeah, the, yeah, that's great. Um, so watch that show and watch this movie and watch the Deadwood movie. I actually haven't seen it, but I heard great things about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the poster to the Deadwood movie says "Welcome the fuck back," <laughs> <laughs> which is good. Um, so yeah, uh, my final bespoke recommendation is for like. This this is kind of our old hat, but I think it really applies <laughs> to this movie. Uh, like, milieu-minded fail sons who are in danger of being radicalized. Um, show them this kind of movie. Like, that definitely embodies that kind of weeaboo, hikikomori, like, warrior mentality. But it strips away the nationalism um, that can sometimes accompany that and, like, lead people to being, like, a, a 4chan Nazi. Um this movie definitely has a bad case of both sides are equally culpable, but it's not as bad as I feared. And um, it, it is definitely way more sympathetic to the Apache people than than I was expecting. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's accurate. Um, it probably respects the Apaches more than the U.S. government. Uh, respected and respects the Apaches to this day. Um, yeah, so. Very low bar, but true. <laughs> yes, it does. It does. Um, so yeah, just uh, if you have any budding, budding milieu-minded fail sons in your life, as as I st- statistically some of you must. Um, oh yeah, this would be a good. This would be a good piece to show them. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if they're just getting into westerns which i would say probably those types of uh, of young adults would be um this is one of the better ones to show them um you know yeah. there's there's a lot of crap in the 90s a lot of shitty westerns in the 90s um some of the more you know um reactionary ones um but this is this is one of the ones you should show them maybe not to start you know i I, i'm definitely a fan of kind of going through uh, the continuity of of american film uh and cinema in order uh if you can but uh if you gotta you know jump around here and there uh find a place for geronimo i would call this a revisionist uh western yeah i think this is firmly in that camp oh yeah um it, it definitely strips it strips away the glorification it strips away the mythology um it ends on a really bleak note um 
and a very historically accurate bleak note um which is good we we need to we need people to be more comfortable with that kind of content yeah for sure um yeah watch it folks even if you don't have a zen warrior fail set in your life just uh go out and see this one uh I, i'm always yes. gonna stan uh walter hill except his last film reassignment don't watch that movie it's it's utter garbage uh <laughs> okay i do i do want to see this uh fireman's battle axe fight that's not or that yeah awesome. bullet to the head is great um some of Sylvester Stallone's worst acting and some of the most atrocious dialogue yes. I've seen in a film more recently. I would hope I would hope for and expect <laughs> nothing less. Um, but it's interesting because it is one of four. I think it's his last. Uh, yeah, it's Walter Hill's last film that he shot in New Orleans. So he he when his first film he directed okay. um, Hard Times which is a Depression-era bare-knuckle boxing film uh, starring Charles Bronson takes place in New Orleans. Damn. Yeah, it's incredible. Hard Times is great, folks. Um, it's uh, it, it should be a classic of American cinema, but uh, unfortunately, it's it's more of a cult film. Uh, definitely check that one out, but that takes place in, in New Orleans. Uh, Bullets to the Head takes place in New Orleans. Uh, a film called Johnny Handsome takes place in new orleans and there is one i am for oh and uh southern comfort also takes place in well just louisiana for that one in the bayou but uh yeah what am i talking about oh okay yeah a totally different movie <laughs> just walter hill. sorry this is just uh, no, it's fine it's fine it's it's fine walter hill it's he's 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 joining the ProCon Justice League alongside BDP. <laughs> yeah, him, uh, BDP, Joe Dante are are definitely uh, yep. up there for me. For sure. Um, so yeah, folks, we'll we'll see you next week. We have a, I think we have a really cool uh, guest episode planned for next. Well, <laughs> we have an interesting guest episode planned for next week that you are certainly excited about. <laughs> I'm so excited about it. Um, our guest is super excited mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. it. Nick is not excited about it. Uh, he's excited about our guest. Uh, I'm excited okay. about our guest. I'm a- uh, but Nick is yes. not excited about the film as much as the guest and I are excited about the film. <laughs> Correct. We're going to leave it cryptic, that, yeah, folks, that because you're going to be very excited. You, the audience, will be very excited. <laughs> Anyway, uh, we will see you next time, and um, wish me luck. (laughs) Bye, folks.